Many individuals with mental health issues don't receive help. People often delay seeking help or avoid it entirely due to fears of being treated differently. Stigmas based on prejudice, ignorance, and discrimination create significant problems for those with mental health disorders. These stigmas can be obvious or subtle, but either way can lead to harm and create additional barriers for help. Not only is mental health stigmatized, but counseling and other forms of treatment are often filled with misinformation and misunderstandings that further complicate the goals of helping address mental health issues. Welcome listeners to Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast, which is the follow-up to the book Addiction and Recovery, and I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier. This podcast explores discussions regarding important issues related to addiction and recovery. Information you learn here is not typical of what you would find in academic textbooks and resources, and comes from my experience as a clinical supervisor, clinical substance abuse counselor, and licensed professional counselor in the work with individuals and others involved in this field. Listen as guests join the show and cover a wide range of topics looking to educate individuals, families, communities, organizations, institutions, mental health professionals, educators, and anyone else impacted by addiction and recovery. It's June, and let's talk about mental health. While May was Mental Health Awareness Month, we're not going to stop talking about these issues simply because we have moved into June. You know, that is what this podcast is all about, continuing to talk about these important conversations and topics. You know, so March was Problem Gambling Awareness Month, and we're not going to wait around until next March to talk about issues related to gambling. So... May was Mental Health Awareness Month, but what we're going to do is we're going to keep talking about these issues with mental health. In this episode, we are going to talk about stigmas, and we are going to be addressing stigmas towards mental health and counseling. Two quotes to sort of start us off is, quote, what mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, more unashamed conversation, and that's from Glenn Close. And another quote from Lemony Snicket is, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't so. And when I talk about stigmas with mental health, you know, I usually start by talking about a story of impact. So I want you to imagine that there is an individual and imagine that that individual was with maybe a loved one or some family members. Maybe they're out doing something enjoyable having a good time together you know it's been pretty warm out here so uh, lake life here in wisconsin has been really you know kind of building up so you know imagine this family or a couple out on the lake and going on their boat and maybe doing some some water skiing and i i want you to imagine that the person that was doing it all of a sudden something happened you know maybe they hit something maybe another boat or someone else came and i want you to imagine that that person got injured or hurt and i want you to imagine that they had got hurt physically so maybe they had some damage done or they broke something and when we talk about how we respond to people with physical health such as this 
accident, it's a story of impact. And one of the things that we look at is how would we respond to that? And other people would respond to it by, you know, what can we do? They would say, this can happen to anyone. It's not your fault. They would ask, you know, do you need anything? You know, they would encourage the person say, you are strong and I know you will get through with this. Do we see the same response when it's still a story of impact, but that impact is more on mental health? So I want that to be sort of kind of like what is in the back of your mind as we go through stigmas with mental health and how that impacts how we respond to it. So when we look at stigmas, we want to get a definition for that. And to define a stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. Some synonyms for stigmas are shame, disgrace, dishonor, and humiliation. And stigma occurs when society, you know, labels someone as, you know, like tainted, less desirable, not good enough, and even unworthy. And we have seen several health conditions that have been associated with stigmas, including even some like cancers, HIV and AIDS continues to go through that, and just a variety of other health conditions. Stigmas are also highly associated with individuals suffering from substance use disorders and even the treatment methods trying to help them recover. And as someone that has done substance abuse counseling in particular for all these years, that is something I have seen for a very long time. And we're also seeing that happening with mental health. In fact, in 1999, the U.S. Surgeon General labeled stigmas as perhaps the biggest barrier to mental health care. Studies have shown that the majority of people have stigmatizing attitudes about mental illness. We've seen media reports often link mental illness with violence or portray people with mental health problems as dangerous or being evil and or almost disabled to where they can't live like a normal fulfilled life unlike physical disabilities individuals with mental health issues are perceived by the public to be like in control of their disabilities and responsible for causing them so right there we're kind of noticing a difference between physical and mental health and how we view it and respond to it Stigmatizing beliefs about individuals with mental health problems are held by a broad range of individuals. And there's two types of stigmas that we look at with mental health. The first one is social stigmas. So social stigma, also known as public stigma, refers to negative stereotypes of those with a mental health issue. Examples would be people with mental health problems are dangerous. Mental health problems are self-inflicted. People with mental health problems are hard to talk to. Then we look at self-stigmas. And a self-stigma, also known as perceived stigma, occurs when a person internalizes those negative stereotypes. So someone with mental health might think, I'm a burden to others. Nobody wants to be around me because I'm depressed all the time. I'm too weak, not strong enough to get better. So we look at both these types, social and self we're already starting to see the impact that it might have on helping those individuals or those individuals going out and looking at getting help. And there's three elements that are really important when it comes to 
stigmas. And the first one is prejudice, which is having a negative attitude towards it. Second one is ignorance, which is a lack of knowledge. And the third one, which is discrimination, which is behaving in ways that disadvantage people with mental health. And it's always interesting when I'm dealing with a family member or loved one of someone that I'm counseling or providing therapy with and how they view it or how they just talk about it. And one of the best things that ever happens when I'm working with like a family member or a loved one or just someone who's involved with the person is that the best thing you can do is say, you know, I can, I can see they're going through something. I don't understand what it is. You know, I can't relate to it. But I know that they're going through something. And just acknowledging that they are going through something, but you might not know what it is, as opposed to having people come in and talk about, you know, things that they know, but it's more of that's actually a misunderstanding about it, or they're talking about it and it sounds more like there's a prejudice towards it, or it even sounds like they are discriminating against a person for it. When we talk about, as a society, part of the issues with mental health is how it's portrayed. And they did a research study that was about media portrayals. And they took mental health and physical health. And what they did was they reviewed a whole bunch of articles and they had keywords and they looked at things that kind of attempted to take a look at how was mental health and physical health perceived. And when they looked at it, mental health had a 50.5% negative tone. And physical health had a 32.0% negative tone. And mental health had an 18.5% association with violence. While physical health had a 0.3% association with violence. So looking at a comparison with mental health and physical health, Mental health already had more of a negative tone associated with it and that there was more violence associated with it. Even looking back in horror movies, and I am a huge fan of horror movies. Some of the ones that I'm going to talk about right now, I have seen them all. I, I own two of them. So, But when we look at media portrayals, this is one of the things that they've kind of looked at is Psycho creates the continuing confusion about the relationship between schizophrenia and dissociative identity disorder. Friday the 13th creates the misconception that people who leave psychiatric hospitals are violent and dangerous. The Exorcist suggests to the public that mental health is the equivalent of possession by the devil. One flew over the cuckoo's nest makes the case that psychiatric hospitals are simply prisons in which there's little or no regard for patient rights or welfare. So part of what we see in films that show mental health or show psych wards and show, you know, part of the portrayals of it, they don't help with portraying what mental health is in a, in a wide spectrum. You know, they're looking at it in sort of like these outlier type scenarios you know, so not everyone with mental health 
is the person that's in Psycho or in Friday the 13th or The Exorcist or One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. So part of it is how it's been portrayed isn't helpful either with media. So the big question is, you know, how does stigmas impact mental health? And here's one example that that was taken from adolescence. And they did a study about stigmas and the impact on adolescents. And this was pretty alarming. In the the study, 35% reported stigmas that were by teachers and school staff who expressed fear, dislike, avoidance, and even underestimation of their abilities. 46% of those adolescents described experiencing uh, being stigmatized by family members in the form of unwanted assumptions, distrust, avoidance, pity, and gossip. And 62% experienced stigma from peers, which often led to friendship losses and social rejection. So that's just an example right there of how stigmas in related to mental health can affect adolescents. I think we can look at all three of those things would not be helpful for an adolescent. It would probably cause some significant distress. Overall, though, the impact on mental health, self-esteem and confidence can suffer, lack of understanding by family, friends, coworkers, uh, law enforcement, medical professionals, teachers, and other professionals who work with uh, individuals with mental health, there could be fewer opportunities for work, school, or social activities, and trouble finding housing, bullying, physical violence, harassment, and discrimination, the belief that you'll never succeed at certain challenges or can't improve situation, social stigma can lead to withholding help, avoidance, coercive treatment, and segregated institutions, health insurance that doesn't adequately cover mental health treatment, and reluctance to seek help or treatment, often due to shame. So I put together a list of nine stigmas about mental health that I've heard pretty often in my career. I'm going to go through those nine. Then I'm going to go through and kind of share with you what the truths are about those. So when we look at the stigmas, number one, Mental health is not common. Number two, you don't look depressed or you don't look anxious. Number three, people with mental health can't work or do well in school. Number four, people with mental health issues are violent. Number five, everyone has stress and feels sad. Number six, you're just using that as an excuse. Number seven, we need to walk on eggshells around you so you don't freak out. Number eight, there's plenty of help and resources out there for you. And number nine, you need some kind of medication. So these are all things that, you know, I've heard come out from people. I've heard it from professionals. I've heard it from family members, loved ones. I've seen it portrayed in media. I've seen it in articles, you know, all across the board. So now let's look at the truth behind those exact ones. So we look at mental health or mental illness is not common. Well, actually, the truth is one in five Americans will experience mental health 
illness or issues in their lifetime. So one in five. So that means if we were sitting in a row of people, and there's only five of you in an entire row, that means one of you will experience mental health. That's pretty common. You don't look depressed or anxious. Well, looking at the outside only shows part of the picture. While physical things show us what's going on, and that might help us to see that there's something that this person is going through or dealing with, there are things that are going on on the inside that we can't always see, but it doesn't mean they're not going through something. People with mental health can't work or do well in school. Well, it's more difficult when abilities are being underestimated and being discriminated against. So when your abilities are being underestimated and not valued, and you're also being discriminated against, it makes it a lot more challenging. People with mental health issues are violent. Actually, the truth is people with mental health issues are more likely to be victims of violence. But kind of like what those movies show, it looks as if they are more violent, but they are actually more likely to become victims of violence. Everyone has stress and feels sad. Yes, a lot of people go through stress. A lot of people feel sad from time to time. But here's the point. Feeling stressed or sad are different than having depression or anxiety disorders. Believing they're the same is really harmful when it comes to understanding the two. You're just using that as an excuse. Symptoms of mental illness can be severe to the point of causing significant disruption. So sort of like how we view someone who is unable to walk because they just had a physical injury or accident and we can say, okay, I can understand that that person can't walk. There are things that mental health can do that can have that type of impact as well. But when we look at mental health, we don't look at that as the same as if it were something physical. We need to walk on eggshells around you so you don't freak out. Actually, all you need to do is talk to the person and listen to the person. You know, walking on eggshells, oftentimes when I've seen people try and do that, it just makes the situation worse. There's plenty of help and resources out there for you. Actually, only 43% of people with mental health issues receive treatment. So less people receive treatment for their mental health than those that actually do. And you need some kind of medication. Uh, medication's not magic. And it's not the answer for everyone. It's not an easy thing to figure out. It, it's often challenging. There's issues and stigmas alone with people on medication. So it's funny because people will, you know, say you need some kind of medication and there'll be some stigma around that. But then if someone is on medication, they'll have a stigma towards being on medication. So if you're not on it, you're stigmatized. If you're on it, you're stigmatized. And part of it is, you know, medication might help. Uh, medication might not be the only help, but simply believing that 
medication solves everything is not the answer to mental health issues. So with all these things that happen, you know, you can just see that the impact on mental health, the things that we say about it, the stigmas that are perceived, that these are things that can interfere with someone getting help, someone deciding to go to counseling, someone going to therapy, someone going to treatment or someone going to their doctor or someone going to their or going to a psychiatrist, you know, so on and so forth. So part of that turns into then, okay, let's say someone decides to do that. Well, that must, there must not be any problems with that, right? And unfortunately, that's not the answer either. So one of the questions that I always get asked is, what do you do? And as a counselor and mental health therapist, you know, it's interesting that when I tell people that I'm an alcohol and drug counselor, um, you know, one of the things people often do is kind of nervously laugh about if they have a drink in their hand, that's one thing. If they don't have a drink in their hand, a lot of times people will often laugh or they'll say something like, oh, I know plenty of people that um, you could see that needs your help. And then when I talk about mental health, you know, sometimes that gets into people talking about how you know, it must be really difficult. You must see a lot of crazy things. So when you look at counseling, what people perceive it as is interesting too. You know, some people, you know, think that it's still the old school of laying on the couch and your therapist has a notepad with their back to you. Um, sometimes my clients think that I work magic or that I have all the answers, you know, but part of it is that there's a lot of questions people have about counseling. You know, so some of them might be like, well, what really happens in therapy? What do they do? Will I still be myself when I leave? If I go to a therapist, does that mean I'm crazy, weak, or a failure? What will others think if I tell them I'm going to therapy? What if I'm coming out of that kind of, what if someone sees me coming out of that kind of office? Or what if someone finds out that I'm in therapy? So part of it is even therapy, counseling, has stigmas attached to it. So even when someone has a mental health issue and they are going to go seek help for it, there's still stigmas being attached to it. You know, so that's like the person that gets injured and is physically hurt. Then they go to the doctor. They're going to be stigmatized for going to get help. And in reality, you know, what I do, I I do a lot with people. You know, with all the people that I provide counseling and therapy to, you know, I work with people who are getting married. I work with people who are getting divorced. You know, I work with people who have health issues. They've been given a recent diagnosis of something. I work with people who are relocating, whether that's from a a job, a school, maybe an entire state. I help people who have problems at school. Uh, people who have work stressors who are dealing with stuff at their jobs and employment. I deal with families and parenting issues. People come and see me when they're going through some financial problems. A lot of grief when it comes to death of family members, loved ones. 
you know, I see people when they go through other types of losses. People come see me when they are trying to think of decisions that they need to make or decisions that they've been contemplating. And I have people who come and see me when it comes to like setting goals or feeling like they're not in a position where they've been not setting any goals, they've been stuck for a while. So even though I specialize and I'm licensed when it comes to like substance use and mental health, overall, I see people for what they're experiencing in life, what they're dealing with, their problems, their issues, their concerns, things that they are struggling with where they haven't been able to figure it out on their own. Um, Or sometimes things get bad to a point where they need to come see me. But it's interesting because then coming to see me brings stigmas. So not only do I have to kind of overcome the barrier of getting help, when I do get help, I'm going to be stigmatized for that. So once again, I have stigmas about counseling. I've got nine of them for you. Number one, people who go to counseling are crazy. Number two, counseling is hocus pocus, brainwashing and head shrinking. Number three, going to therapy means you are weak. Number four, talking about things doesn't help. Number five, you must be in a bad place. Number six, there must be something wrong with you. Number seven, are you done with therapy yet? Number eight, is your therapist telling you to do this? And number nine, you must be on medications. So, you know, once again, how does that help someone who is seeking help? Or how does that support someone who is obviously dealing with some issues or they've made the decision that they need to go to counseling? What does that do to support them if that's what we are telling them or thinking about them? So here's the truth about counseling and what I do. So people who go to counseling are crazy. Actually, people who come to counseling, they just need help. Counseling is hocus pocus, brainwashing, and head shrinking. Um, I can't do any of that. Uh, we're not witches, magicians. Um, you know, we can't do any of that type of stuff. Um, or at least I haven't learned how to do that yet. Uh, going to therapy means you are weak. Actually, asking for help is difficult. Therefore, it takes more strength. It's easier to think you can do it on your own. And it takes less effort to say, I've got this. Acknowledging that you need help and actually asking for it is much more harder. And if it's harder and more difficult, it probably takes more strength. Talking about things doesn't help. Well, you know what? Secrets and silence do more harm than talking. All the issues that I see people with, secrecy and silence and not talking about them has caused more harm than any type of talking about their issues. You must be in a bad place. Well, sometimes, you know, people you want to get to or stay in a better place. You know, sometimes come people see me, it's not because like their life is crashing down on them and they they don't know what to do but sometimes they they feel like maybe they're 
in a rut or maybe they feel like they want to do more and they're trying to get to a better place or they want to go in some kind of different direction but it doesn't mean that they're in a bad place there must be something wrong with you well the truth is something must have happened to you a lot of times when people see me something happened so in the case of the earlier story about impact when the person goes and sees a doctor because something happened to their leg. You know, the doctor says, well, what happened to you? You know, something must have happened that this is what your leg looks like now or your arm or the case may be. You know, when it comes to counseling, we are looking at, as some people say, well, there must be something wrong with you. Are you done with therapy yet? <laughs> you know, a big question I ask is, you know, like, well, when are we done taking care of our, our minds and our bodies? At one point do we say, well, I'm done. I no longer have to think about that or worry about that or anything of the sort. You know, it's pretty funny that there's this idea of everything's good to go. From here on out, the rest of my life, <laughs> I don't have to worry about my mental health. Or anything that's going on with my mind anymore. Or my emotions or anything of the fact. You know, that just is intriguing that there's this idea that you get to a point where you're all good. And people come into counseling with that idea. Um, significant others and family members ask sometimes us professionals, like, well, how long are they, are they almost done yet? Like, how long do they have to keep coming back to you? Is your therapist telling you to do this? Well, you know, there are things that we recommend, but, you know, there a lot of times, you know, what we do is based on, you know, our best understanding, our best clinical assessment. You know, we recommend people to do things, um, but it's funny because sometimes when someone finds out that another person's going to therapy, they think any little change or any little bit of thing that's different or new, like they automatically jump to like, well, this is something that your therapist <laughs> tells you to do. And you must be on medications. Well, as a counselor, I can't even prescribe medications. But it's funny that people who come see me are stigmatized that by seeing me, they must be on something. When I have never been able to, and at this point, based on what I'm licensed to do, I have never given a medication to anyone. And that probably won't change. So here we are now dealing with stigmas about getting help for issues that are also stigmatized. So now we're just making it even more difficult that when someone does go get help, that we are stigmatizing the way in which they get help. So what do we do? How can we reduce stigmas about mental health and counseling? And I've got five of them. Okay, number one, talk openly about mental health and counseling. Number two, Educate yourself and educate others. Number three, be conscious of language. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. 
Number four, encourage equality between physical and mental illness. And number five, show compassion for those with mental illness. So there's, there's a few of these I really want to get into. And part of it is the language that we use. Be aware and conscious about language when it comes to mental health. I know that it's usually not intentional, but the way in which we can talk about mental health can be really damaging. So like there's two examples that come to mind. And you know, one of them would be is I enjoy being organized and it helps a lot. That's the OCD in me. Someone who's who likes to be organized and does some things and spends time in order to be that way, doing that is usually something that helps them, that they enjoy doing it. And like I said, that it helps them. When they say that's the OCD in me, that's not what someone with OCD goes through, obsessive compulsive disorder. That OCD is very distressful. So when someone says that they enjoy being organized and that helps them, and they characterize that as that's like the OCD in them, that's not what someone with OCD goes through. So now we can really sort of minimize or sort of really kind of put off the fact that someone with OCD might be really distressed because someone looks at it as, well, that's, I enjoy it. That helps me out a lot. Another thing that I hear very often, and this happens in Wisconsin because we can have an 85 degree sunny day and then it can snow the next is you, you hear people say this weather in Wisconsin is bipolar. I can't stand it. So when you hear that, what does that sound like of how we look at it? Not good, right? So imagine someone who has bipolar. Like I said, I don't think there's intentional harm. But statements like that can be really damaging to a person who does struggle with bipolar. When they hear bipolar being compared to something that they can't stand. So it's important that we look at language and language as being something that we need to be more conscious of when it comes to talking about mental health. We also need to take a page from the physical health playbook. Going to a counselor or therapist when you're feeling overwhelmed should be as normal as going to the doctor when you're feeling sick. No one ever hears someone say, I have a doctor's appointment, thinks that they must be crazy or weak or foolish. It is often seen as the right and less stubborn thing to do, to go seek professional help when we are injured or it doesn't feel right. We schedule points with our physician and dentist to make sure our bodies and teeth are strong and healthy. So doesn't our mental health merit the same attention? So I want to go back to that client's story. And I want you to imagine that same situation of that family or significant others who are out on that boat. 
And I want you to imagine that same thing happens and that the person still gets into an accident, something happens. But let's imagine, like, let's say physically nothing happened. There was no broken bones. There was no scrapes and bruises. But let's say that that person was maybe got some PTSD. And now maybe they really struggle a lot with things. Maybe being out on the water is really hard for them. So now I want you to imagine how we respond to people with mental health in the very same type of incident. We would probably say things like, you are being lazy and you're choosing to feel this way. You just want attention. You don't look hurt. You need to try harder. All because this person is having some mental health issue, but not a physical health issue. But same story, same thing happened. Before we were looking at, you know, oh, this this can happen to anyone. It's not your fault. But now all of a sudden, same situation. We might look at, you need to try harder. We look at someone and we can notice that they are hurt because they are wearing a cast or they have like a sling or they, they look like there is something that happened. So we look at them and we say, you know, what can I do? How can I help you? Clearly something is, you need help. But if we look at someone and they don't have that, you might look at them and be like, well, you don't look hurt. It doesn't look like anything's wrong. You look good. No, that same story can impact someone physically just as much as it can impact them mentally. So we look at mental health versus physical illness. I kind of want you to look at how we treat them differently. And if we just had the same response, we would probably be in a lot better position when it comes to responding to people with mental health. So when it comes to physical illness, the individual gets cared for. Mental illness, the individual gets blamed. Physical illness, the individual is told they'll be supported through it. Mental illness is the individual is told to get over it. Physical illness, the individual is told, I'm here if you need anything. Mental illness, the individual is told, stop seeking attention. Physical illness is the individual is told they are strong and courageous. Mental illness, the individual is told they are weak and lazy. Physical illness, the individual is told it can happen to anyone. Mental illness, the individual is told it's a choice. So the individual goes through the same experience. Yet because it affects them differently, it can change how we treat them. We can show more compassion and care if this person broke a leg in comparison to now if their emotions have become unregulated. And it's amazing because we act like the the mind and the body are somehow different, yet the mind is a physical part of the body. So we should be treating it in that way. 
we should be treating mental health as a part of fitness, mental fitness, mental wealth. You know, so when people do come see me, it's amazing that people look at that person as being, you know, weaker or that person is unstable. You know, I know a lot of people that have come and seen me over the years who they are in much better positions. They've learned more. They've grown. They've understood things. They've picked up coping skills that one, they always tell me I should have learned this a long time ago. And two, they look at it as something that is part of just taking care of their health. Whether it's physical or mental, overall, it's health. They're able to do things like make decisions. They're able to set goals. They're able to communicate with others, their relationships, things with all all different parts of their lives have seen improvement when they've come to counseling and stuff. So it's amazing that we think of people who go to counseling as being like, you know, mentally unfit. You know, it's kind of like to me, believing a person who goes to counseling is mentally unwell is like assuming a person who goes to the gym is physically unfit. So let's think about that for a moment. You know, imagine going to the gym. There are some people who go to the gym who are trying to get into better shape. They are trying to improve on their health. Maybe their doctor recommended it. Maybe there's a part of them that's dealing with something that they are unhealthy and exercise is a way for them to improve on that or to get better. But you know who else goes to the gym? A lot of people who are in good shape physically. How do they get that way? Part of the way they get there is by going to the gym. So if you want to talk about mental fitness, part of it is not just going to counseling because something's going on with me or because... I'm having an issue, but part of it is going to therapy and counseling as part of that routine, that check that we do with like dentist stuff and going to see your doctor for a physical. Why don't we treat mental health that way? There'd be a lot more issues addressed if we treat it that way. So many things would be different. The most important thing to do is how we treat others with mental health. So this whole episode was about stigmas and the impact that stigmas have. But we also want to talk about what you can do that can help those in such a significant yet easy way. It might be best example is my guy Eeyore. That's right. Eeyore is my guy. He's one of my guys. I got a couple, but Eeyore is one of them. I has a family trip to Disneyland. We all got t-shirts with a character. Mine was Eeyore. I got my mug, morning mug that I drink my coffee out of, and one of those has Eeyore on it. Eeyore is my guy. And the amazing thing about Eeyore is what we can learn about compassion and 
helping someone with mental health and what we can really do for them to help them. And it doesn't take much. So here's the thing, and and maybe some of you have seen this or heard this, but this is one of my favorite things when it comes to what we can do for mental health, people with mental health. One awesome thing about Eeyore's friends is that even though he's basically clinically depressed, they still invite him to participate in adventures and shenanigans with them. And they never expect Eeyore to pretend to feel happy. They just love him anyway, and they never leave him behind or ask him to change. Eeyore is brave for joining in the shenanigans even when he is unsure of it. So that is the compassion that we have for mental health. And what we can learn from Eeyore and his friends, and that is continue to invite someone to be a part of your adventures. Don't expect someone to feel or not feel a certain way. Accept the person for who they are instead of holding them to expectations of how you want them to be. And even for Eeyore, it's be a part of the adventure even when you are uncertain about it. So there's a lot of things that were covered on stigmas. And one of the things I'm going to do is take a lot of this and provide a lot of this information on my social media accounts. So go to the Talking Addiction and Recovery Facebook page. Go to the Instagram account, Talking Addiction and Recovery. And throughout this week, I am going to post a lot of the information that I shared on this episode. I will post some, you know, pictures and some slides that kind of capture what I've talked about that can give you a lot of this information that I've gone over. But one of the things that we've got to do, and we always have to do a better job of, is how we treat people with mental health. Stigmatizing people for mental health or stigmatizing them for going to get treatment or get therapy for their mental health is not going to help them get any better. And if we truly want them to get better and we truly want them to be able to improve and get the help they need, stigmas has no place in doing that. And we need to do all those things that we can that I went over to help you know, reduce and eliminate what stigmas can do towards. So next time when you start to hear some of these things, see some of these things, take a step back and ask yourself, does this fall under a stigma? Is this something that would fall under that, those elements where there's prejudice, there's ignorance, there's discrimination? And then look at what are ways that we can change that? What are ways that we can help overcome that? How can we help address that so that someone doesn't get impacted to a point where it hurts their mental health or interferes with their ability to get treatment? So follow the social media accounts where you can get some more of this information. If you enjoyed what you hear, leave a comment. Leave a rating on some of the platforms that's available. And as always, I hope you learned something. 
and we are going to continue to talk about mental health now and going forward to continue to drive these discussions. Thanks for listening.